1: My wife immediately was grossed out, thought it was it was something the chef a chef had dropped in, a bead or a piece of candy or something. Um, it really looked like one of those dot candies that uh, used to come on the paper that you peel off because the backside of it is sort of flat.
0: What Scott Overland found in his bowl of clams this summer at the Salt Air Restaurant in Rehoboth Beach, Delaware, was a pearl, but not just any pearl. It was a very rare pearl. Purple pearl, and while finding a rare gemstone in your meal is certainly unusual, you'd be surprised at some of the other culinary oddities out there.
2: You know, we have, we had, uh, we've had a couple pearls, you know, in the oysters. We used to do a whole lot of raw oysters at at Frontier, not as much now, but yeah, we've 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 had some pearls for sure.
0: But those oysters are just part of a menu that includes, well, you name it. Carnivores, step right up and meet Chef Brian Jupiter, a former James Beard Award semifinalist who started his culinary career at just 16 years of age. These days, you'll find him in the kitchen of Frontier, a restaurant in Chicago that specializes in wild game. He joined Something Offbeat this week to give us a taste of just how wild. I'm your host, Mike Rogers, and this is Something Offbeat, where we try to find some of the deeper layers behind the out-of-the-ordinary news stories each week.
1: We were on this family vacation, and we came back with a couple of hermit crabs for the kids and some t-shirts and a mug, and then we're not expecting to add a uh, purple clam pearl to our list of souvenirs, so it was it was pretty pretty fun, pretty special.
0: Now, most people associate finding pearls in oysters, so Scott Overland says that he was particularly surprised to find one when he ordered clams.
1: I definitely felt it first. Um, yeah, we, we ordered ordered the clams. They came with like a a garlic scampi sauce and some grilled ciabatta bread, and it was towards the end of the clams. And just, it was a really, a a pretty small clam, actually. After the initial shock, we started doing some Googling and asking some friends that that maybe were more more in in the uh, seafood or or jewelry space. What, if they'd ever seen this before or heard of it, it seemed like every three to five years or so, there'd be an article about someone finding something like this. And we saw just ranges all over the place from $600 to $16,000. I didn't know purple pearls existed i mean was it like a a kind of a
0: lavender or was it a deep purple or what
1: yeah we didn't know that they existed either it was especially because of this color of of pearl i guess i'd seen or heard of like a sort of almost black like tahitian type pearl but this was a lavender very light purple that you know almost like a, a pastel sort of color how big was it not big, about seven millimeters across. So, so it's fairly fairly small, but that is what we've read is, is about average, maybe a little bit bigger than average for these clam pearls. What are you going to do with this? We're still figuring that out. I mean, it's a, you know, the more that we have, have talked through it, I don't think we're going to sell it. It's just such a, a, a fun and special story and memory then I think it, it's gonna be more worthwhile for us to hang on and have this as sort of a family heirloom. I've learned, again, in, as, as part of my education in all things clam pearl uh, here, the process that we have to go through to get it actually appraised and certified is, is a little bit arduous. We need to go to New York and have it certified by a GIA lab, the Gemological Institute of America. <laughs>
0: Back in Chicago, meanwhile, sitting in front of a fireplace, Frontier's guests might be able to forget that they're in one of the country's biggest cities. And the restaurant's whole animal
2: experience, that just adds to the atmosphere.
0: What kind of animals are we talking about here?
2: So right now we're doing pigs, lambs, boars, goats, alligators. So we also do some larger cuts. We do animal legs. We'll do some venison legs you know, boar, shoulders, things like that as well.
0: One item on the menu stands out though, the whole alligator meal. To order it, parties must have at least 10 people who pay $95 per person. That gator arrives with two chickens stuffed in its wide open jaw, teeth bared. The alligator, now tell me how this came about.
2: I started with pigs, lambs, and, and goats, right? It's a slaughterhouse that's right up the street from me and so that's what they you know they process on a daily basis over there and so that's you know what we started with but customers kept asking for more whether it was you know midwesterners that are avid hunters so they wanted more game and i was scared that somebody was going to be able to copycat the the lambs and the pigs and the goats and so i kept on trying to stretch it And so we got the boar sourced out of Texas, and then we got the alligator sourced out of Louisiana.
0: Without giving away any proprietary information, how would you prepare something like that?
2: You know, it's funny you ask that, because uh, a friend of mine, and this happens quite often, but people are always calling, hey, you know, how do you do the gator? You know, (laughs) and so I treat it like a blank canvas, right? So garlic, herbs, Cajun spices, Things like that work really well on it because it's, it's not a very strong flavor. But texture is really what's different. You know, the texture is like you can you can tell that it lives in the water, but you can also tell it's not fish. Giving it some heat and then basing it because it's just very lean. You know, alligators leaner than a chicken breast. So you're going to have to incorporate some fats to it as well to keep it from just drying out, especially on the surface.
0: Do you get people in the restaurant who they see that part of the menu and they're kind of intimidated?
2: Well, you know, not as much now, definitely in the early days, you would have these groups that would come in and not really know what Front was all about and turn around and there's a pig behind you being carved, you know, tableside. And so we've had some screens, you know, in the dining room uh, in the early days, but I think now people just kind of, they, they know, they know what to expect.
0: All right. So tell me how popular is the whole animal experience?
2: It changed our business model. You know, we didn't expect it to be what it was, but it turned out that it was everything that we do, you know? And so pre-pandemic, we were doing, you know, 20 whole animals a week. Now we're starting to get ramped back up. And so now we're in that 10 to 12, you know, per week type of range.
0: What is the most challenging one to cook? And you mentioned the alligator because it's very lean. So you've got to mm. moisten it up a little bit, but what other yeah. ones are challenging?
2: It would probably be between the, the gator and the boar. Those two would probably be the, the most challenging because, you know, the pigs are very forgiving because they have a lot of fat, you know, meaning if you do go a little bit too long on the smoke, it's not going to be crazy noticeable. Um, whereas with boar, you can dry it out. Our lambs and our goats normally come with a nice layer of fat on them. And so it takes them a little time, you know, for those to, to, to get dry as well. And this is all happening Friday night. So, working your smoker, you know, timing everything properly is a challenge.
0: Are there any special considerations that your staff has to take into account when cooking meat like this to to make sure it's safe to serve to people?
2: No, because that stuff is all USDA um, inspected. You know, we don't deal with anything from a shady facility at all.
0: Is there anything that's ever come through your kitchen or that you've heard about that that even you will say, uh-uh, I'm not trying that?
2: We've developed some relationships with some of our regulars who do hunt and things like that. And so we've had some dinners where it was, uh, you know, private group of guys that bring in some proteins and then we cook it all off for them. And we got some beaver and the beaver was another one that was, uh, that was a challenge to, to, to eat along the lines with the, the raccoon, with the time I made it at least. And so, yeah, that was another really strange one. Iguana, we've done some iguana as well. Just, uh, you know, as expected, not a lot of meat on that. So we weren't even able to put that on a menu. Um, You know, that was something that came in and we were able to play around with it, but just really couldn't figure out how to make it work.
0: Tell me this. Is there anything else that you would like that you could see yourself adding to the menu at some point legally?
2: You know, we we're always looking you know, whether that's different cuts, because that's where we've really um, been able to find a niche as well as offering some off cuts of even, you know, traditional proteins. You know, that's been fun as well because people, you know, they've had cow tongue at a uh, a taqueria for the most part in Chicago, at least. So when we give them the boar tongue, they're, they're not super hesitant, especially now they, they kind of trust us to, to pull it off.
0: The one new thing that people can expect to see on the menu, an invasive species that's been clogging waterways across the country.
2: They're renaming Asian carp here to COPE, right? And uh, it's a big problem in the waters up this way. And so I've spearheaded the whole introduction of COPE to the public here in, in the Midwest. And so people kind of expect us to do something that's off the wall. And another. Right now, we're doing a alligator parmesan. but We're taking gator loins and you know pounding them, frying them.
0: And these dishes may seem outlandish to order, but in
1: Pearl Finder Scott Overland's view, that's not a bad thing. And so, an interesting kind of story or, or part of, of this whole thing was that they came with a bell pepper pico uh, garnish on it. And my wife is not a big fan of peppers, so she was debating whether or not to send them back, and ultimately decided just to to keep keep them, and and she'd eat around it. And so that ult- <laughs> that ended up being a very good uh, decision for us, and a nice lesson that came out of this. Of sometimes, you know, it pays not to not to be a pain at restaurants. <music>
0: I'm Mike Rogers, and thanks for listening to Something Off-Beats. This episode written and produced by Lauren Berry and Chris Blake, with audio editing by Chris Blake, original music by Myron Kaplan, and editorial support from Cooper Mall. Now to keep listening, please subscribe to us on the Odyssey app or Spotify, Apple, wherever you get your podcasts. And if you have your own offbeat story that you think we should cover... Send it to us at something somethingoffbeat at odyssey, A-U-D-A-C-Y dot com. All-star closer,
2: Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time?